Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Salt City Hoops special midweek podcast. I'm Dan. This other guy is Ken. We're both the brothers Clayton. So we're bringing you another installment of our brotherly podcast as we get into the first day of free agency and talk a little bit about the the Jazz's upcoming free agent questions and uh, the things that we'll be wrestling with as a Jazz fan community. But first, let's just jump right into it. Ken, welcome into the podcast. I'm just curious to know, what are your uh, what are your reactions? What are the things that you were most surprised to see on day one of free agency in terms of who's getting talked about, who's not getting talked about, who's getting deals, who's not getting deals, etc.? Uh, well, glad to be here again. Um, surprises today. Uh, probably while I was eating lunch, Jody Meeks getting, uh, I think, three years, $19 million were the numbers I saw. That was a bit of a surprise. Seems a little bit higher than what I would have expected for him. Um, taking a look elsewhere, uh, in fact, just recently came across, I don't know if this was a big surprise, but Sean Livingston's already agreed, not for a huge number, but he, he's off the board. Um, not that I think he figured into the jazz plans anyway, but just the, the first few deals, the you know, if the big ones happen, I'm never that surprised, but some of these little ones happening as early as they did and as large as they were, especially in the Meeks case, that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what struck me today was, uh, you know, normally it's a domino game, and sometimes a team sneaks in a, a smaller signing while everyone else is looking the other direction. But, you know, today was about the Jody Meekses and the Cartier Martins. Uh, yeah. Martin Gortat got a, got a big deal, just announced this evening, five years, $60 million for the Washington Center. Um, but, but again, you know, you're looking at a guy who, if we're to trust Amin El-Hassan's AAV rankings, he's the fifth best center on the, uh, or, or the fifth best big, I should say, on the free agent market. So that means that he got his before Chris Bosch, Greg Monroe, Dirk Nowitzki, Pau Gasol, and other free agent bigs like Spencer Hawes, Channing Fry. So, you know, to your point, it's, uh, to, to me it was more just interesting that it's not following the usual pecking order. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I saw that, and I don't know about surprise, but uh, the number of suitors we're hearing about for Gordon Hayward certainly gives a jazz fan pause, although maybe not all the jazz fans, because I've seen you going back and forth with people in the Twitterverse today, uh, talking about who might be, you know, how, how much jazz fans really appreciate Gordon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean... I'm not. I'm not necessarily rooting for a max deal either. It'd be great if the Jazz could get him for less, but I. I don't understand the. I don't understand the Jazz fan tendency. In fact, I'll be. I, may, maybe today's not the day to dwell on this because I'll be. I'll be writing about this this week at Salt City Hoops. Um, but I do think that there's a cyclical a cyclical thing going on here where there's always certain guys that we don't really appreciate as a fan base, and then they wind up going somewhere else and getting all this praise and all this. And and you're sitting there going, wait, why didn't we appreciate that guy when he was here? Starting to feel that way with Gordon. Maybe it's just the fans don't want to give him the max. But uh, but no, I I hear you. Um, who, so who specifically are you hearing on Gordon? I, I I've heard several teams, but in terms of specifics, I'm hearing Utah, Boston, Miami, L.A. Anyone specifically else that you're uh, that you're hearing mentioned in conjunction with Gordon? 
Yeah, just in the last hour or two, you're calling it evening, I'm calling it afternoon because of our locations. Um, in the last hour or two, uh, Cleveland has uh, popped up as considering giving him a large offer. And when I look at large offer, I actually that was the point where I actually opened up a spreadsheet that um, you and I are both familiar with for tracking salaries, yes. player yes. salaries. The famous spreadsheet. Yeah, and uh, figured out an estimate of what the max salary is this year because with the cap going up and and we don't know the exact numbers yet, but it's a, a starting salary of 14.9 million is the max that Hayward's able to get. So I'm obviously hopeful it doesn't go that high. I was trying to remember and or find the reports from last uh, October, November when they were talking about how Hayward hadn't asked for the max and I, I just can't remember the numbers, what we what people thought the Jazz had offered and what people thought Hayward had asked for, but I know it wasn't fourteen point nine million. So Yeah. So I uh, yeah actually Andy B. Larson and I did uh, did a little collaboration on this when the Jazz and Hayward failed to failed to find that middle ground. And the assumption, so there were some rumors out there that the Jazz were offering something in the high 40s, uh, potentially with some incentives and some sweeteners that would get it close to 50 or maybe over 50, and Hayward's right. camp was supposedly, quote-unquote, not asking for the max, which tells you they were probably in the high 50s. So you figure that that middle ground they couldn't get to was probably somewhere in the mid-50s. And honestly, I think... As of today, that's probably about Hayward's floor, given the number of teams that are interested. Yeah, and I guess the good news, though, is I mean, the max that another team can take is 63, 64. Again, estimated based on where that max salary comes out. So um, that's certainly better than if the Jazz offer him a max with 7.5 percent raises. Uh, the other team's going to be more limited, and and uh, it's only going to be a four-year deal. So they yeah. save a little there, but yeah, for sure. Um, one other thing that surprised me, and then we'll shift gears and, and start talking about our, our big topic for this podcast. Um, I don't What's Atlanta up to? I, I can't figure out what Atlanta is doing. Um, all of the rumors that they've been associated with today haven't quite made sense, given their... Um, uh, the, the Luol Deng thing kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, but, you know, Greg Monroe, that doesn't make sense. And then in explaining why they didn't make qualifying offers to some of their players, the comment was that they're trying to protect cap space. So I'm not sure what they're up to. If you know, it doesn't seem like they'd be going for a full rebuild because if they had been, you would think they would have made noise on draft night. But uh, Atlanta's interesting, and I only mention that because I'm going to come back to Atlanta in a in a few minutes here. But uh, that's that's one team I can't quite figure out what their goals are in this, uh, not just in this free agent period, but in this off season. Yeah, I would agree, and I can't answer your question. Wait, your initial question, what are they up to, beats me. Yeah. We'll uh, have to see, or uh, maybe it's one of those examples of they think they have a plan, but do they really? I, I don't know what's going on there. All right, well, get Danny Ferry to join us for our next Brothers Clayton podcast, will you? Uh, so let's let's move on. Um, I Okay, so stepping back, Dennis Lindsay has, has talked a little bit about you know the type of veteran that the that the Jazz could bring in to to help this young group take a step forward. It definitely seems like um, the Jazz want to have bottomed out, as it were, and and that now they they got Exum in the draft, um, and ostensibly they want to start the ascent. They want to start getting better and and progressing back to be a relevant, legitimate, contending team. Um, 
And so I was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about other teams that have followed that similar model, um, as much as we all hate the term model, because that's an oversimplification. But you look at Oklahoma City, um, who, you know, hey, they got a bunch of really good draft picks in a row in Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, and James Harden, but then they added Kendrick Perkins to the mix, and that's when things really started to congeal and make sense for OKC, and that's when they started to get better. Or, or another example that I think is probably a stronger example is Indiana drafted really well. They, they got smart, shrewd picks at 17 with Roy Hibbert, at 10 with Paul George, but really it was adding a guy like David West, and, and David West for me is the consummate example of this because he's the guy who throughout these recent playoffs would say to his team, hey, if you get stuck and you need a bucket, come find me and I'll bail us out. And I thought, what a luxury for a team to have a guy who doesn't have necessarily the ego where it has to be his team, but he has enough talent that he can say, hey, I got this. I'm going to carry us for a half a quarter. Um, and, and so I started thinking about who, or, or another one, and Jazz fans won't like this one, but the Jazz weren't contending until 2007 when they added a veteran in Derek Fisher to the mix. And then that summer, Derek Fisher went away, and they stopped contending, or, or at least, you know, started, stopped making it as far in the playoffs. So I, I'm trying to figure out who these guys are that you could add to the mix, and it would still be a an Exum team, a Favors team, a Hayward team, a Trey Burke team, but but who would help move the Jazz forward. And, I, and I'm not sure, Ken, I'll, I'll stop talking for a second and let you react to this. I, I'm trying to figure out over the next few minutes here, what are the characteristics that would make... Um, that would make us think like, hey, that guy's that guy's got it. That guy's the type of the type of piece we need around the youth. Okay. Well, if you're going to stop talking, I will take advantage because it <laughs> doesn't happen often. Um, so, yeah, I, I look at three things uh, when I look at you know these guys who could do that or guys who have done that. And I honestly think I know you know people don't like to mention, you know, he, speaking of last week we talked about giving Voldemort status to somebody, Derek Fisher just about has Voldemort status for a lot of jazz fans. Um, but uh, I, I look at a guy like him and, and I think, and I see three things. He's a guy who um, you can like him or not like him at this point and I know he's made, you know, his enemies along the way, not just in Utah, but he he has some leadership qualities. People like you know. People listen to him. That certainly happened here in Utah, where he he was on a younger team. Um, I remember just countless times when they were lining up and, and huddling up before the games. He was the guy talking and kind of leading the team, uh, the the players' uh, discussion as they were come waiting to come out the tunnel. Another thing I think is advantageous if you can get it, and Derek Fisher had this, is he'd actually won something. He'd won titles. And then the third thing is, and I'm sure the Jazz are cognizant of this, it, that doesn't mean you're, you're not looking for a star. Fisher wasn't a star. He was a complimentary player, but he had those other two things. So I think those three things together, you're looking for a complimentary player who's, who can be a leader, and but who's won something if you can get it. And I think that's what made him successful. And I think the Jazz really did come together that year 
with Fisher, and I think the next year the Lakers uh, took care of some internal problems when they brought Fisher back. Now they also picked up Pau Gasol that next year, so yeah. it wasn't like you know Fisher didn't just in a vacuum fix everything that was wrong in L.A. Um, but I think he calmed down. I mean, '07 was the year where Kobe was talking about wanting to be traded and everything. Fisher comes back, and a lot of that stuff really uh, just went away. And and I think part of that was the leader in the locker room who doesn't need the touches, but he has the ear of the guys who do need the touches, or in the Jazz case, maybe the development and touches. Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's interesting that you mention that, um, particularly relative to having won something, because when Dennis Lindsay talks about this with the Salt Lake media at the end of the season, um, he mentioned sort of the type of veteran that the Jazz would want to put with the young guys. Let me find his comment here. He he was talking about Richard Jefferson and Marvin Williams and potentially having one or both of those guys back in the right, in the right circumstances. And then he said that uh, they would like to add, quote, veteran personnel that have been in situations more, end quote. So he, he said in situations more, and I assume because of context that he was talking about relative to Richard and Marvin. Now, both Richard and Marvin have been on playoff teams. Richard has been his team's second best player. He's been his team's best player. If you think about when Kidd left New Jersey, he's been what a role mean this, player. You mean this week when Kidd left New Jersey? Yeah, when he, when he left the New Jersey Nets, not the Brooklyn Nets. Got it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, crazy day in the NBA, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway... Um, yeah, I'm not sure what what it means to have been in situations more, particularly relative to um, relative to Richard and Marvin. But I, but I think you nailed it on the head, and it's this idea that um, for whatever we might think of Derek Fisher, or, or however much we poke fun at, at Perk for his game declining, these are guys who can create followership, right? Yeah, and and I think I mean here's one more example as I'm glancing down the list of free agents this year. Not to jump ahead, but I mean, um, I saw I saw it happen last year. I'm not even saying there's a guy for the Jazz, and this is a guy who didn't hadn't won anything. But I think Jermaine O'Neal had a little bit of that same impact in Golden State this year, and we all hated watching it because we were hoping that Golden State was going to miss the playoffs and give us a second lottery pick. But I think having that guy who'd been around the block, whatever, 16, 18 times. Um, even though he hadn't won titles, I think it it helped that younger team kind of come together a little more. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So that's a that's another good example. Um, and he played definitely more of a role when when Bogut was out hurt. Yeah. Um, and then and then you know back to my original name, the the David West idea. Who David West, um, you know, had been an All Star before he went to Indy, and since he's been in Indy. Um, he's been a fringe all-star, a guy who, free, you know, I think he's made one or two, but he's always in the conversation for all-star. So it's not like he's someone who's 100%, you know, self-effacing and self-sacrificing. And, and uh, you know, David West still gets his, to be sure, but he's also a guy that that is okay with it being Paul George's team and Roy Hibbert's team and increasingly even Lance Stevenson's team. Um so so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out it, and again, I'm I'm looking at it relative to this year's free agent list, and trying to figure out who are those guys that that have that ability, and that could 
just by nature of their leadership and their intensity and their drive. And then, you know, obviously their skill set make the Jazz better. Let me ask you one more question before we jump into names. Um, we know what the Jazz's roster looks like today. We know about all the players that have, you know, options or non-guaranteed contracts. Do you think positionally it matters a whole lot who we're looking at to be that uh, that Fisher, Perk, West, Jermaine O'Neal type guy? Uh, not just absolute position on the court, but I think it, it's probably best if that guy is a guy who actually does see the court from time to time. Um, you know, if if the Jazz thought they had, in fact, I mostly disregarded the point guard column because I figured, do the Jazz want to bring in a a point guard when they've got two young points, and then any minutes that if if that if this leader guy. <laughs> was a point guard any minutes he plays um, are going to be taken away from development so you know again the the whole thing of the last couple of years that we've talked about so I've been thinking more possibly wing or big but you know it, it could be anywhere because really this guy's a locker room guy but I think he does need to play enough minutes that he's showing it not just telling it yeah I agree I think um, I think having an Earl Watson type locker room slash end of bench mentor, special assistant coach figure is nice, but I, but I don't think that that's the player that, that gets everything to come together the way these other guys we're describing have for their respective teams. So, all right, so let's do it. Let's just jump into names. Um, let's start with you. Do you have a couple in mind that you've looked at and said, this guy might be, uh, might be the right guy to put in this, uh, in this situation? Well, the very, I'll tell you the very, it's, coming full circle, the first two names that jumped out at me, they don't meet all of my own criteria that I just created, but the first two names that jumped out at me are the names that Dennis Lindsay started with, and I thought of Richard Jefferson and Marvin Williams. And it shocked me a little bit when I heard myself say Richard Jefferson, but he was, I think, a steadying influence on the team. Uh, do I want him back next year? No, not really. Um, but that is the type of player who I think, in his case, I think more than Marvin, because I think he was more of a leader he had won something, or at least, you know, he'd been in the finals, he'd been a top player in the league, and and I think he has some leader qualities, or I, th I thought I saw that last year. I thought he had the ear of some of the other Jazz players. So th those two were kind of first two of the first that jumped out at me. Um, I've got a few other ideas. Why don't you go ahead with uh, one of yours first? Um, yeah, I, yeah, Richard Jefferson surprises me, and and when I say so, I guess the thing with Richard is again, um, by per, by win shares, by RPM, he was a pretty bad player last year. Um, so, so you know, some of it is, some of it is leadership and intangibles. Some of it is, you know, who, who makes the Jazz better on the floor. Um, so, so let me give you my first name. That when I saw it. So when I saw the name, and I, you know, and and put it in this context, I was like, I was instantly intrigued. Um, let's just say this guy's been hurt for a year, but let's just say you could get a Mecca Okafor back to New Orleans level production, not even not even Charlotte level production. Let's say you could get a milk a Mecca Okafor back to when he was with the Hornets and he was averaging nine shots a game is all. But he was doing it really efficiently. He was scoring in the paint a lot, and then towards the end of that time, he started 
working his way out to you know the 10 to 16 foot range. Um, he was rebounding eight or nine rebounds a game. Um, I think Emeka Okafor is is interesting. He's been a leader. He's been he's definitely a good citizen. He's not a guy who's going to lead young dudes astray. I guess the only caveat with with Okafor, um, and I should add that I've heard absolutely zero shred of evidence that the Jazz are talking to or intending to talk to Emeka Okafor. But uh, so the only caveat I see is he has a pretty poor assist ratio um, for the system that Quinn Snyder wants to wants to enact. But other than that, I, I see a guy like that, and I'm like, yeah, you know, if he was the third big or even the fourth big, or even if he was starting alongside, you know, favors so that... Because he's 6'11 and 260, and he's got a real body on him. So if, if you played him and staggered him in the rotation, then you give favors and Cantor both a break from guarding the, the really big guys in the NBA. I don't, am I crazy here? Oh, I don't think crazy. Um, he's not a guy that would jump out to me. I'm not as familiar with him, though, as a... I, I'm... I can't really give him props for the locker room, the the leadership. I, I, I just haven't seen that from him. I have not watched him that frequently, to be completely honest. And, uh, and okay. of course, he's not a guy who's really won anything. So, But that doesn't mean he's he's the wrong answer. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair one. Um, Mike Scott is a guy they're saying, quote-unquote, can be had. Although, again... He hasn't won anything either, but Quinn Snyder knows him well from, uh, you know, they were both in Atlanta last year, and uh, and because nobody knows what Atlanta is up to, um, you know, he's a guy who supposedly could be had for the right offer as a restricted free agent. Uh, you had some others you were going to say. Um, yeah, I just, as I was looking down, I said I was kind of largely disregarding the... Uh, the point guards, and then as I said that, I glanced over there. Um, Again, I, this one's not going to happen. Um, I think he's going to get a bigger deal and a, and a more meaningful deal. But you've got uh, you got a Jameer Nelson who just got released this week. Um, but again, the Jazz have two point cards that they're uh, in theory pretty happy with. So that guy, you know, who's going to who's going to want to jump on with the Jazz there? And then what? You bury a young guy or you bury a veteran? The other name that jumped out at me, I think he's getting close to done. Uh, Chauncey Billups, obviously, from you know a guy who's won stuff, a guy who could teach people, a guy who has some leadership, but I I doubt that one's going to happen. Um, yeah. On a cheaper end, and maybe more possible, you know, even a Steve Blake, not a championship winner, but a guy who's been around a long time, and uh, even just last season he played for two teams, didn't he? So he's yeah. been hopping around a little bit. Yeah, um, I agree with you that uh, the point guard situation seems a little tough because, you know, unless you're planning on moving Trey Burke for a, for another piece out there. Because that's the other thing we should talk about a, a little bit is, um, you know, the, Dennis Lindsay obviously does not feel restricted to just the guys who are existing free agents. So maybe there's some thinking to, you know, take some of these young assets like Trey and turn them into um, another impact player for the Utah Jazz. But unless that happens, I'm, I agree with you that some of the point guard situations... Uh, seem less likely. Um, yeah. And on the wing, you know, they. It it sounds like we're talking to Trevor Ariza, um, who won a ring with LA. Um, immediately after he won that ring, he decided to bolt for more money to Houston, and then since then has bounced around pretty significantly. 
But, yeah. uh, you know, he's a guy that probably has the right level of intensity. He's been around the NBA. He's been in different locker rooms. Um, and, and he's won, and he fits that wing mold. Although, then again, you start to say, okay, does that mean you're not bringing Marvin back? Does that mean you're not going to start Alec Burks? You might not start Alec Burks anyway because the plan might be Burke and Exum in the backcourt. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know how Quinn and Dennis view the rotation as of today. So it's hard to know exactly where some of these some of these veteran impact players or you know veteran quote unquote impact players would fit in. I'm I'm going to guess that they don't even know. They I mean obviously they've got somebody penciled in, but I'm going to guess that until summer league comes around, um, they've got so little to go on as do the rest of us with Exum. The, they may think we'd love to start him if he looks like he can handle it, but will that be realistic? Um, I don't know yet. Uh, I'm, I was excited to get him. I think he was uh, probably the smart pick at five, or or at least the appropriate balance of promise and risk, but. Uh, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily ready to start at the uh, what age of 19 in a couple of months. Yeah, um, Spencer Hawes is another guy getting mentioned in, or at least mentioned by fans. I don't think we've seen him mentioned in conjunction with the Jazz uh, by any media, and and in fact, it sounds like he's in pretty advanced talks with Portland. What and uh, Channing Fry is another guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two guys relative to this conversation about uh, helping a young group? pull together and and uh, progress towards winning some ball games. Just first gut reaction, Fry to me has a little more uh, street cred there. I just I think he's just to me it feels like he's been around a little longer, even though he hasn't won anything. Um, that he might be able to um, help develop some of the bigs and and work on things with them, especially with some of the people who want the bigs to creep out a little bit more. Obviously, Fry would be a good model there. So would so would Haas. Actually, he shoots a little bit from the outside. Um, but either one, I tend to think that Haas, from what I've heard, has uh, got a pretty good list of contending suitors and may go a little higher. I mean, he's listed as the next guy after Gortat, who just got five years, sixty million, right? So he's he yeah. might be getting a little bit expensive. Yeah. So Haas' um, list of again rumored connections so far in the free agency period is Portland, the Clippers, the Rockets, the Mavs, and the Cavs. So, agreed, um, you might be talking about sort of a different a different echelon of NBA teams. Yeah. Uh, Josh McRoberts is another guy that's been mentioned. Obviously a prototypical stretch big man um, in that he, he really has legitimate range out to the three-point line um, and also does some other things. What about, um, I mean, have you thought at all about who the guys are on the on the trade market, maybe who might be available, but who could, uh, you know, really help accelerate the timeline for the Jazz. Uh, I haven't. We talked about talking about. Uh, we discussed talking about free agents, and I didn't even think of trade at the time. However, you teased that you had a, a trade, a potential trade target, and you you wouldn't tell me who it was because you wanted my organic. Um, reaction to it. So let's, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat here. Well, yeah. Um, okay. So react organically to this because this one probably is slightly crazier. Although again, I, I just don't know what his team is up to. Atlanta is shopping for big men. 
And they've got a pretty good big man who's about to come back from missing most of the year with a torn pectoral muscle. So it makes me wonder if Atlanta is getting ready to part company with Al Horford or if they're getting ready to part company with Paul Millsap. Um, by the way, even, even I don't know. The Jazz won't ever go there because we just said goodbye to the guy, but Paul Millsap's interesting for some reasons as well. Um, no, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Millsap, or if uh, Horford, rather, was someone who the Hawks made available. Um, geez. I, if, you, if we're going off of the assumption that the Jazz just got their potential franchise player in Exum, and I stress potential because it's going to be a while before we know if, if that's what we've got in Exum, but yeah. if you just got your franchise player in Exum, and you have and you and you re-sign Hayward to be your Swiss Army utility player, and you've got favors to key your defense, and then you've got Al Horford playing the David West role. I mean, that that's a team that can win some games pretty much as soon as Exum is ready to, uh, you know, to start playing like a potential future star. So that's um, maybe not real, maybe not a realistic scenario, but that's the type of deal. I think Dennis might be looking for um, in terms of the type of free agent that could be interesting here. And look, he, like Ameka, they would both be they would both be a little bit of a risk, right? They're coming off injuries. Nobody knows how they're going to be. But I think, uh, I think if you're willing to risk like that, you might get a guy who, um, who could really help your team. Uh, yeah, I have to think if either guy's name was out there, the Jazz would inquire, even Millsap, to be completely honest. Um, I know they you know, let him walk a year ago, like you mentioned, but the deal he got there, even though he only has one more year left, um, he, he's a steal at, I think, $9 million this year. Um, I would think they would at least think on that. The difficulty might be, well, I think they would think on it, and here's, and here's why. Uh, they... There's this talk, and whether who knows what the organization is thinking, but you know, bringing uh, Cantor now is kind of being looked at as more, is he more of a bench guy, and so you could go back to the well and say, what about Favors and Millsap starting, and Cantor being your bench guy? Now I don't know what the I don't know what Quinn Snyder's thought is on that, or if he's he's Cantor as a starter, but um, we may know soon. Well, yeah, in a few sure months. So. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing about if you brought in a a guy that's under contract somewhere else is now you're looking at someone who probably only has two, three years left on his deal, um, which means you're only going to pay him until, you know, a Trey Burke extension kicks in and well before a Dante Exum extension kicks in. So you can kind of kick the tires a little bit and see what you have before you get into a situation where, oh, crap, how are we going to pay everybody? So that's another reason why that's an interesting route to look into. Well, the beautiful thing, too, I've been noticing this as I've been updating the aforementioned spreadsheet. Um, it's crazy the difference it's made in the last couple of CBAs that, that really, you do have a few five-year deals out there, but for most, for the most part, a four-year deal is the, is the max. Um, yeah. And so it, it really has changed the playing field because you mentioned a couple of years before Trey Burke's <laughs> extension kicks in. Well, that's actually three years before his extension could kick in, and that's a that's that's years from now. I mean, in, in NBA terms, that's I don't know if there's NBA years like there's dog years, but that's uh, that's way out there, three years away. There are very few guys in the league who you can get in a trade. Almost nobody probably who has four years left on his contract. Nobody's going to have more than two or three or one. So yeah, it's it's a possibility. It's just uh, 
not a possibility. Uh, I hadn't just spent a lot of time looking at who might be a tradable guy who fits that category, but certainly there are guys out there. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's, uh, let's go into lightning round, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, let's just end quickly our last couple minutes here with um, with some quick predictions on Jazz guys. So gut feeling, what's happening with Gordon Hayward? Gordon Hayward, my gut feeling is he will end up back in a Jazz uniform. I am getting worried, though, it's going to cost them a little more than if they would have struck last year, although I probably supported the decision not to strike last year. So I guess... Uh, I guess I don't think anybody messed up, but I think now it's going to cost them a little more likely. Okay, all right, fair enough. For the record, I agree with your prediction. I think uh, I think Hayward will be back. I think it'll probably cost high 50s. Uh, Richard Jefferson, what's your prediction? I don't think he'll be back, um, even though, you know, I talked about him as that type of guy. Um, his talk during the season was that he wanted to move on and become a, con- you know, go back to a contender and, and have a role. Um I wish him luck. I hope he finds a contender where he actually can have a role and, you know, whether he wins a title or not, who knows. Go championship hunting. Yeah. Marvin Williams. Marvin Williams, everything I'm hearing is both sides are interested in bringing him back. So unless somebody comes in and breaks the bank on somewhere else, nobody else is going to, I mean, I don't see anybody out there out of his potential suitors that's going to be giving him more than the mid-level. Uh, or at least not much more. So I would think the Jazz, having paid him, what, about $8 million last year, would be happy matching a mid-level. And if he really likes Salt Lake, like he says he likes Salt Lake, um, that that probably works and he comes back. I really don't know which way this one is going to go because, uh, again, roster-wise, it gets a little bit crowded at the three, uh, or on the wing, I should say. And I think Marvin is probably best when he's a three who gets some spot duty as a stretch four, in my personal opinion. But uh, but I will say this about the desire to be in Utah. I've actually been in the man's presence while he was talking about one about liking Salt Lake City and liking the Jazz and liking his teammates and liking the direction that things were heading in here. Um, and I could see the look in his face. Um, he's it's not just lip service. Marvin likes it here, and and Marvin is young enough that I think he still thinks he could be. Uh, a part of what the Jazz are building, um, and if he could, and if he could uh, say that he liked where the team was heading in a 25-win season, he must be sincere. Yeah, no, yeah, that that's totally true. I, I think he was patient with where the Jazz were at last year, but uh, I, I'm these are my words, not his. I'm I'm connecting some dots here. I I, I think that he was excited about the possibility of getting to take part in creating something. Um, and it takes a special kind of player to, to sign up for that. Um, but, but I don't know. That, uh, just keep that in mind as we talk about Marvin. Um, I, I, think he's, I think he's legit. I think he's earnest when he says that he likes what's going on here. And, and he, or here. Neither, neither you nor I are in the place <laughs> we're talking about. He likes what's going on in Utah, and he uh, seems to like the team. And that's pretty much it, right? I mean, no one else is. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, let me ask you, because you talked about you know, potentially another log jam at that small forward, especially if he did come back. Where does the organization see Gordon Hayward fitting in? Uh, well, that's a... Small that's forward a loaded, or shooting guard, yeah. That's a loaded question, and, and the reason it's a loaded question is because I think it depends on what they do with Alec Burks. I sure. think... 
I think that if Alec Burks is an asset that you that you flip now or that you cash in, then you can go forward. You might not do this on day one of the upcoming season, but you could start working towards a day when you've kind of got a three a three man backcourt rotation of Burke, Exum, and Hayward, where Burke and Exum are playing some minutes together. Burke, uh, Exum is guarding the bigger guy. Burke is playing off the ball a little bit more. Um, or and then when one of them sits down, Hayward's the two. Um, honestly, the two and the three are so interchangeable in the Jazz offense that it's it's kind of a silly distinction, except for the fact that you only have 96 minutes a game at those two spots. So you do have to wonder: um, Is Burks still a part of the future discussions? Because if he is, then that influences where Hayward plays. Yeah. So that's, I just, that was that's how I've been piecing it together because you've got. Burke and Exum at the point, and quite honestly, you know, Burks and Hayward also handle the ball uh, a good bit. And then you've got at least, you know, hopefully three quality guys, Exum, Burks, and Hayward at the shooting guard. And then if you're getting down to small forward you and you do bring back Marvin, then you're basically back to where you were last year. Well, except for you don't have Richard Jefferson anymore. So maybe you do have space for uh, Marvin Williams, Gordon Hayward, and then probably, you know, deeper on the bench, Rodney Hood for the time being, unless yeah. he shows shows more than what, you know, I, I do think he's got some skills, but uh, we'll we'll see how much playing time that fact turns into if he re- indeed is sharing time with Hayward and Williams. And, you know, look, if Burks is part of the future discussion, I, I think he'll add some good things too. Although, as we've talked about a little bit, um, I think... I think he and Exum have some things in common style-wise that make me wonder if there's some overlap there. Uh, I missed one. What are uh, what are your free agent predictions for Brandon Rush? That's sort of a joke because everybody knows he was busting at the seams to get out of here on April 16th. What? Well, yeah, the <laughs> um, you didn't get the joke back on the day that they released uh, Biedrins, but there was a joke on Twitter for those who uh, have a preteen daughter like I do. Um, who were following what what's uh, the Hunger Games movies when Andrus Biedrins left? Brandon Rush was rumored to have jumped up and said, "I vo- say I volunteer as tribute <laughs> to take his place." Now Dan didn't get that joke when I uh, when I gave it to him then because apparently he's not up on his preteen uh, girl books and movies. But uh, yeah, certainly Brandon Rush would have taken the shot, t- taken the bullet for Biedrins if he could have. I think, to be honest with you, I had to Google the reference, and then I realized what ah. you were talking about. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for us. Uh, I'm Dan. He's Ken. We're the Brothers Clayton. This has been a Salt City Hoops podcast, a special one for uh, the start of the free agency period. And as always, Andy and ben- Andy, who's back in town now after gallivanting about South America with Team USA, he's back in the country, and he and Ben will have you covered this Friday with the regular installment of the Salt City Hoops podcast from the studios of ESPN 700. But in the meantime, enjoy free agency, and uh, hey, go Jazz. We'll see what's next. Thanks for joining.